0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Sun Film School.
1: Hey, it's it's Sun's. we're back. I'm Eli. It's me, Lucas.
0: And today we're going to talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood.
1: Once Upon a Time, I saw this movie, and <laughs> you're going to hear what I think about it. <laughs> yes,
0: yeah, so we're going to start off, we're going to talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, but first I want to apologize for... How long it's been since the last episode? That's equally the fault of illness, technical issues, and laziness.
1: Uh, yeah, we just we did uh, what we do. We did like that episode on a very great movie called Forrest Gump, and I don't think it's going to see the light of day, unfortunately. So um, hopefully, just like I don't know, just like
0: head us up, like talk to us about it, and we'll tell you what we think. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna still try to edit that one at some point, but uh, it's not as important as. So as important as like actual movies that
1: came out during current year, so.
0: So we're gonna talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood a little bit, um, just an overview how we felt about it. No spoilers. So if you want to hear our thoughts about the film generally without uh, having seen it yet, just to get a sense, we're gonna do that. Then we're gonna move into some spoiler territory, which is probably gonna be the bulk of the podcast this week. Big podcast. There's a lot to talk about uh, that I that I because this is a movie that I personally feel you want to go in. With as little information about the movie as possible.
1: No movie information. Just want to watch it blind. Well, not watch it blind because that you know it's a movie, so you kind of need your eyes to see it. But you know what I'm saying. Don't know. You don't want to know what it's a. What's going on first. You want to just kind of go in with some fresh eyes and uh, take a take a take a gander.
0: S- decide for yourself. And then uh, after we do that, I think at the very end, we're going to talk a little bit about Midsummer, which is another movie we saw during the gap between our last episode and this one. Um, We don't have quite as much to say about that one as we probably will about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So at the very end, we're going to get to that a little bit. But the main feature here is the new Tarantino.
1: Right. Um, So... Want to talk about how our general feelings about it first, or do you want to... Yeah, yeah,
0: What did, what? did so what did you feel? How did you feel about, after coming out of Once Upon a Time? That was
1: pretty long. It was um, pretty long. It was, it see, it's weird, because, like, I'm, I feel like we're both big, like, guys who are like, oh, yeah, Tarantino, like, he rules, love everything that, like, he's done, or whatever, and going into it, I was like, yeah, I'm, like, pr- pretty sure, like, I'm gonna like this movie, and then coming out of it, I was just like, man, that was kind of... It's kind of boring. (laughs) I didn't hate it. Kind of just boring. Like nothing's really going on. I'm not hating what I'm seeing. I think I thought that Leo did a great job. I think Brad Pitt was awesome in it. I think he was better than Leo. To to, that's just my opinion though. I think there's people been from what I've seen like flip flopping on it. But um, I don't know. I just well I do know, but um, I just I just didn't love it. Like I just didn't. It didn't it didn't click with me.
0: Yeah. This is a movie that going in, knowing it's a Quentin Tarantino movie really changes the experience. Cause we've come to expect a certain style, speed and delivery from his movies. We've come to expect a certain amount of action. And this is probably his least action heavy movie, at least since like Jackie Brown. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I liked it a lot. I definitely liked it more than, uh, than Luke did. I, I, <laughs> I really liked it, actually. Um, I don't know where I would rank it in his filmography. This is a movie that I think I'm going to have to see a, a couple more times before I'm 100% sure uh, how I feel about it. But my feelings are definitely positive.
1: Yeah, I mean, I probably am going to watch it again sometime later. Like, I'm not running back to the to the theater to, to go watch it again because I'm like, this movie is so great. I'm kind of just like, I'm kind of just like a, like, I don't know. This is just... uh, It was too much for me. It's just like... I just don't need to see it for a little while.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's like two hours and 40 minutes. The first, like, hour and a half-ish are basically like a Hangout movie. Like, I've seen a couple people call it, like, kind of a Quentin Tarantino Hangout movie, which is pretty accurate. Like, it's pretty laid back. It's the first, you know, significant chunk of it is the main character is just going about a weekend in the life. We, you know, the, and obviously anyone who's seen the promotion stuff for this movie knows the Mansons are involved in this film, but they are honestly a pretty minor element in it for the most yeah. part. And the bulk of like the first two thirds of the movie is just like this movie star and his stunt man going about a normal weekend uh, mm-hmm. on the downswing of their career. Yeah. It's just like
1: I don't I felt like I was watching nothing happen for to like I like I knew like we were building to something, right, but nothing was really going on that was like getting us to that point. It sort of was just like there is a like there are these people this is what they do. We're gonna get to a point at the end of the movie where they all converge. And just, like, it didn't really feel like that there's any, like, build towards anything. It just was like, okay, like, we need to just introduce everything, and then something's going to happen. And it just took forever to do. And I just was like, okay, like, I didn't really feel that satisfied by it at the end. Um, I had a good time watching it, though. Like, I mean, I was, like, I was entertained through... The sequences and stuff, and like that, and the performances, and uh, the dialogue, obviously, because I still think the dialogue that he writes is great. But it, overall experience, I didn't love it.
0: Yeah, it definitely takes its sweet time getting where it's going. Personally, I I thought it it, it took its time, but it didn't waste any time. Uh, there's, it def- you definitely get the sense that like, wow, not that much is happening. But thinking back on it, I really can't think of a single moment that doesn't, in one way or another, set up what we're building towards or inform the characters in an important way. A lot of it is just spent on. Like kind of like luxuriating on the actors and letting them play actors playing actors because it's a movie about filmmaking. I mean, it's called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and it's about movie stars, It's but it's about acting even more than it's about filmmaking.
1: I feel like he just mostly wanted to like make another western, but didn't want to, like, he wanted to do the kind of campy western stuff instead of making the the, I mean, like, I guess like, Django's kind of camp, same with H- Hateful Eight, but like they're very different stories in retrospect to this one where he wanted to like show the the like 50s like more like western guys instead of the, like these these gritty western people that um he's like made those movies for, you know what I mean? Like this more modern take on a western that it was like oh we're going to do like real gritty kind of stuff, but this one's more just like let's do an ode to these like nifty 50s <laughs> westerns. Um and he just was like, oh, I'm just going to play with that. But I don't I don't know if he had, like, a real idea for it. And he just wanted to do, like, those little vignettes that, that we see throughout the entire movie. Um, and that's what it kind of just, like, felt like. It was like, okay, well, how do I make this in not interesting or more interesting because, like, you can't just make a movie where it's just, like, a bunch of vignettes of stuff. So, like, he threw in this, this Manson family kind of plot with it, which, again, I don't really think it – it builds to anything like it builds to this one moment that uh, yeah we know it's like it's gonna have to happen eventually if like you're gonna introduce it but I don't know it just doesn't feel like there's a lot of didn't feel like there was a lot of tension like anywhere between it that's that's just me though like that's just what I thought
0: yeah I think we'll get more into this in the spoiler section I definitely felt like it was all of a piece I definitely felt like in such a major way the movie is a about recapturing the lost 60s that is such a major aspect of the film and if you've seen it you'll kind of know what I mean on another level by that I guess so yeah and I think that the movie itself tries to ape the tone and time and you know it kind of it moves in the way that an older movie moves it doesn't move in the way that a modern Tarantino movie generally moves yeah. so it's I like I like a movie that is what it's trying to be, that is reflective of its message, you know? Do you have any, like,
1: affinity for that time period at all? Or,
0: Um, I mean, you know, we're in our mid-twenties, so <laughs> it's not like either of us got to live through it. I definitely feel a certain affinity for the hippie movement. I feel a certain affinity for kind of that lost hope, um that it represents to us now certainly there are movies of that time period that i like a lot one of my all-time favorite movies is 2001 a space odyssey that was made mm. around that time yeah one of my other favorite movies is the long goodbye um another of my favorite movies is inherent vice which kind of is a similar reflection on an era but the movie that this actually reminded me of in some ways was uh, *Hail Caesar*, um, a recent Coen Brothers movie. Did you get to see that?
1: Yeah, I saw that too. Another movie that I didn't really like that much. Yeah, so I, like I probably just like am, like oh like I don't really like this time period, so all this crap like that was flying
0: in my face was like. Uh yeah, this is boring. <laughs> but yeah, Hail Caesar is a movie that when I first saw it, I was like, that's kind of a lesser Cohen Brothers movie. I was like, I did not love that. And then I saw Hail Caesar again, and it clicked for me in a major way. Like, what it's building toward and what it's about and how it's about it really worked for me on, on a second watch. And I'm expecting a similar thing will happen here with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, even though I liked it more on the first watch than I did Hail Caesar.
1: Mm. I don't know. I... Th- I th- We'll watch it again, but like I said, I'm not going. I'm not like running back to the theater to see it. I'm
0: kind of running back to the theater to see it. I kind of, I kind of got to go get that in me again. I got to go give give that another look because there's some interesting stuff going on there. I think to talk about those interesting things more specifically, I think we're gonna have to move into spoiler territory. Spoilers, let's go. So tune out now. Come back later after you've seen it. We just wanted to give you a little taste of our thoughts on it. Tasty, but uh, there's a lot to talk about. So I think. Let's move into that now. Let's talk right about the ending. Let's go right to the ending. We're just gonna pounce. Yeah, because I think that's what people are gonna want to hear about in the first place, and that's something I can't stop thinking about. When the when the ending when we started to get into the Manson attack, and you started to realize, oh, they're not gonna go to Sharon Tate's house. They're gonna go to our Mm -hmm. guy's house. What were your feelings there? I felt like okay, so
1: I don't I didn't know much about like any of the Manson stuff. Like I know who who Charles, Charles Manson is. I know like the general gist of it. I know like Sharon Tate was like murdered by like Charles Manson's people or whatever. I didn't think I didn't I thought actually that Charles Manson murdered her himself, but I I didn't I didn't know like I knew like there was a, something that was involved. I knew the movie was going to be like focused not focused but like have something to do with it, but I also at the same time knew that Brad Pitt's character and um, Leonardo DiCaprio's character aren't real. Like, they're just made-up people. So it's like, okay, how do they, like, fit into it? And when it was like, oh, th- like, they're neighbors or whatever, it's like, oh, okay. So they're going to go, like, the Inglorious Bastards route. Like, I kind of, like, had that in the back of my head. It didn't, I didn't really, th- like, know that it was actually going to go-go there till, I til, like, they get to that point where, like, the, they drive up and everything. And I'm like, oh, okay, so they're going to, like, fight um, Brad Pitton and and Leo, and Leo uh, instead, which is, I think like a good. Sh- obviously, like I don't want to see the 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 Sharon like his take on Jaron Tate getting killed. Yeah. So like I and I think that would would have been in poor taste, obviously, but. Um, when we can live in this fantasy world, I think it's great that he always puts, like, he always puts the good guy over, like, in, in this kind of fantasy world. Like, he did it in Glorious Bastards, where they just, like, kill all the Nazis, like, very <laughs> excruciatingly, but, like, and, yeah, like, I'm glad that he, that we saw these, uh, Nansen freaks get literally, like, uh, <laughs> charred to a crisp. But, um, it just, it just didn't really, like, it didn't really do a whole, like, lot for me, mainly because I knew it was, like, yeah, like, I know it's coming, and I and I know that's, it's not that it's, like, it's bad that, that to know that it's coming, but there wasn't, it, it was what I was, like, expecting, you know? There's a difference between being, like, okay, like, I know that this is gonna come, and, like, when we saw Detective Pikachu, like, I knew everything that was gonna happen in the movie, but I was still, like, entertained by it there, but I knew what I was getting on, like, the surface level, where with this movie it's like i didn't really know and i i regard this person in such like a high like film like like obviously whoever like the people made detective pikachu aren't the same people who are making this movie so i'm looking at this as like something that's i'm already going into it with a higher expectation and it just didn't really meet that for me um so yeah that's my that's my piece
0: yeah i think on the inglorious bastards note there's a clip early on from a movie that uh rick dalton which is leonardo dicaprio's character yeah made where he takes a flamethrower to a room full of nazis and i think it's a clear riff on inglorious bastards yeah yeah um, i think that's it's pretty obvious and it's an interesting signal of what's to come later um i do think that unlike with inglorious bastards where the nazis are like pretty unambiguously the bad guys like right. nazis are bad I don't know like who needs to hear this, but like Nazis are bad and they're still bad today. Neo Nazis are bad. White supremacy is bad. Cool. It's kind of like black and white. The Mansons you could, you know, make the case that Charles Manson is is evil. You can even make the case that like someone like Tex is Tex is always depicted as pretty much a terrible person. But people are kinda pushing back somewhat on um the depiction of the Manson girls where you could really look at it as their victims in their own way they have been manipulated in a in a major way they have been kind of taken by this cult leader so to see kind of the glee with which they're dispatched as opposed to Charles Manson himself people do have an issue with that and I think I'm sympathetic to that critique I think it's a fair critique to make I don't have quite the same issue with it They are, you you can kind of look, you can look at it on one level politically where you're watching these old cowboys take out these hippies and, uh, you know, on that level, Tarantino's coming out a little bit more on the conservative side of things. I'm not calling him a Republican, but just in a, you know, in a social sense, he's a little more conservative thinking and people, people have qualms with that. I don't have as many qualms with that despite being i'm i'm very far to the left i'm i'm a leftist but i think that depicting people who we know today as murderers depicting people we know to have committed a shocking act of violence depicting them as the victims of violence and simultaneously elevating sharon tate out of that realm of victim is something really interesting as a writer who has been interested in certain topics and certain real life events that I've wondered, like if I wanted to tell a story about this, how would I do this? If I wanted to tell a story about these real life crimes or tragedies how would I do it in a way that shows what happened, but is also respectful to the victims, and doesn't glorify the violence or the people who committed that violence? And Tarantino does a really interesting solution to that, where he doesn't depict the actual violence. Uh, there's a review by, um, I think it was by Walter Chow, he he made this really interesting point, that the movie, which basically what I just said, is that the movie takes Sharon Tate out of the realm of victim, it allows her to live a, a fuller life within the world of the movie and it lowers in status the the perpetrators of the crime so it's a really interesting mix that he's going on here um and what i felt about the ending i felt similarly about realizing what was happening as i did an earlier clip where they insert leonardo dicaprio as rick dalton into the great escape Yeah, which is a movie I've seen a lot. That's a great movie. I saw that a lot as a kid. So seeing Leo in The Great Escape kind of threw me for a loop. Was like, oh my god! Like it kind of felt like magic. And in a similar way, the ending of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood felt like it was a way, in one sense, to put the audience in the shoes of Rick Dalton, where he stopped this. You know, mostly it was Brad Pitt's character, but also Rick Dalton. Uh, stop this crime that we know to have taken place and in so doing opened the gates to Sharon Tate's house and re- and you know presumably got to like revive his career a little bit got to kind of re-enter the high society of Hollywood yeah we
1: get to like it's like a feel good thing for him at the end because it's like the whole the whole thing is about him how he's going downhill and just further and further down in, in, in like the status of, of Hollywood when he used to be like the 50's cowboy guy And now it's, like, oh, well, he, like, he makes a comment at, like, the, the first part of the movie that, like, when Roman and Sharon, like, are moving into the house, he's, like, holy shit, that's, like, Roman Polanski, like, I, like, he's, like, that's Rosemary's fucking baby, like, like, I gotta, like, I gotta work with him, and I know Tarantino loves Rosemary's baby, too, so, like, I'm, like, I was, I was, like, oh, he's just, like, he, this is just him wanting to, like, work with Roman Polanski, like, so he just made it up in his fantasy land kind of thing, and I thought that was, like, that's, that was cool, obviously like the whole arc of him getting like going down and then like doing this this act and being welcomed in again is like where it was going there. It's just it's like just the ride. Just <laughs> like it if it didn't bring me on like the up and down kind of thing. It was more just like we're flat for a little while, then we go up and then down real quick. Like that's how it felt like to me.
0: And I was okay with that, because for me, I like a movie that puts an audience in the same position as its characters. When the gates open to Sharon Tate's house at the end, for him it's the gates of opportunity. And for us as a viewer, it's like the gates of reality. It's like we've broken through to this alternate world, and it fills you with if at least it filled me, with the same feeling I imagine Rick Dalton had at that moment. And that to me is movie magic is when you can make an audience member feel. Like the character you're depicting, mm. uh, so to me, that's a success.
1: I mean, I respect your opinion, but I humbly am like, I didn't feel that, and like <laughs> at the all. whole
0: movie is kind of flat because Rick Dalton's career is flattened out. Like, it's you're absolutely right, right that like the movie is is much flatter. there's not as many ups and downs. It's not as much of a roller coaster as some of his others, and to me, that's purposeful and good.
1: I, I, th- I guess that's one way to look at it, and. It's hard to like. It's hard to be like. Oh, like, because we're arguing. This we're arguing the same thing as, as I'm saying. Like, that's like what I didn't like about. Right. It. And you're just like, this is what we I like agree about, about what happened yeah. and what it did. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just think that I, I'll talk about stuff that I did like about the yeah, movie. Yeah. I think that um, I loved the uh, basically like. Every segment with Brad Pitt in it was like fantastic. He's really good. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I love the flashback segment where he like fights Bruce Lee. Like, but
0: that wasn't a flashback. That was, uh, that was, that was, that was concurrent to the plot.
1: No, because he like it's a, it's like he's on the roof and he's mad about. Oh, I see what you're saying. He's, he's mad the, about yeah, yeah. um like not because like the the guy who um is doing the stunts or whatever. He was like, oh, like he, they. I talked to him. Like he doesn't really like. We already got like a stunt guy for it, and you know how he is. And so like he sends, um, Brad Pitt home to like fix the the antenna on the on the roof. And Brad Pitt has that flashback of him like why he like pissed him off because he like fucked up the his wife's car or whatever. Also because Brad Pitt killed his. His wife. Well, so yeah, in the movie. What I thought happened?
0: That they, it's edited kind of confusingly. I thought like that had just happened, and he was just remembering it having no, just happened. He did it. He Because I think because, that's on the set of the movie that Rick Dalton's on right
1: now. No, it's on the set of um, the Green Hornet. Oh, really? Yeah, okay, I completely missed. That's why I kept, that. that's why he kept calling him Kato from because that's the Asian um, sidekick in the Green Hornet. Okay. So he's doing like he's doing because he did a bit on the Green Hornet, and then like um, Rick Dalton did. And then they were doing, like, they were hanging out afterwards, and so they had the fight. And he fucked up, uh, what's-her-name's car. And that's why he, like, got kicked off. And that, and then it cuts back to him, and he's just is laughing about it. he's like, yeah, like, I sh- like yeah, I, I wouldn't be welcome on the set. Like, like so he's like, because at first he's like, um, he's upset about it, right? Because he wants to work. But then he, he, like, realized, like, you know, like, yeah, I did fuck that up pretty good. Um, I think that sec- that sequence is good. I, I did like the guy who played Bruce Lee a lot, so, like, that was a highlight of the movie for me. Um,
0: That's actually another point of controversy. People kind of feel one way or the other about how they depicted Bruce Lee in this, and, like...
1: Oh, I mean, like, I think it's kind of bullshit that he did get beat up by, like, a shitty stuntman, right? Because, like, who is Brad Pitt's character? It's just, like, he's just a shitty kind of, like... I mean, he's a stuntman, but, like, he just doesn't... We don't really see him be a badass besides, like, he beats up Bruce Lee once, and oh yeah he fucks up that hippie guy but like that doesn't really who cares it's just like the yeah hippie that was, that's not impressive yeah that's, that's not really like... impressive <laughs> and like and we like and then like he fucks up the hippie guys again but like on acid which i didn't like <laughs> see that's the thing that i didn't like i mean we, we said we we're gonna talk about like midsummer later which like has a lot of like in midsummer we just saw it and it has like a lot of drug um influences in it and like people under the influence of drugs and being like because they're under the influence they're like their lack of inhibition and kind of agency to like be active participants in what's going on to them where brad pitts gets himself into the situation where he's tripping on an acid cigarette and then is attacked by like the manson murderers and just fucks him up like really (laughs) like pretty easily like like him and his dog just like completely make fools out of them that to me i mean like while it's It's funny and, like, effective because he's, again, it's Brad Pitt and he was, like, really good in this movie to me. Like, and I thought that the way that it was done was pretty funny. It's just, coming off of seeing one movie where they're just, like, have no control over themselves to this guy just being, like, taking control of the situation despite being under the influence of of a hallucinogenic. It's, like, eh, not really, like, the best mindset to be in because, like... I'm still thinking about one thing and you're presenting me with another completely separate reality that I'm just like uh, not get, not getting along like my brain is just not accepting it.
0: Yeah, without getting into midsummer spoilers yet. We'll save that <laughs> for the end. I do think Midsummer is uh one of the more accurate drug trips I've seen in film. Like it's it's one of the more accurately depicted drug experience I've seen on film, I would say. And but once upon a time in Hollywood it didn't really throw me because I felt like when you're on acid, like, you can still kind of do the things that you're trained to do, that you're used to doing. Like, things are weird for you, but it's not like you're completely drunk and you have kind of no physical control of your body I kind of bought that a stuntman can do stunt work even while tripping. I kind of bought that. Obviously, it's a, it's a Tarantino movie, and that sequence at the end is the most Tarantino. Oh yeah, violent sequence. It's the it's the the gory sequence yeah. of the movie.
1: I mean, it's I I still like yeah like I like this. It's it's what I was expecting of this movie yeah. at this point. But like, so
0: I would say like for being for taking place in the Tarantino universe where like Inglorious Bastards is what happened in World War Two mm-hmm. and the kind of movie they go see is kill bill you know what I mean this felt like of a piece with the universe his movies take place in Mm -hmm. on that note i do feel like most of his movies do take place in the same universe i feel like the universe where once upon a time in hollywood is what happened in 1969 is the same universe as the universe where the the nazis were burnt you know hitler got killed in in glorious bastards and then pulp fiction happens you know like i do feel like these are all taking place in the same slightly skewed version of america it feels and once upon a time in hollywood ending the way it does kind of explains the ongoing vibe of reservoir dogs and pulp fiction that take place kind closer to our present day
1: um i'll buy it i never really thought of them all in the same like universe kind of i never had that that brain to be like oh yeah all of tarantino's movies are in the same cinematic and like it doesn't
0: really matter if they do or not
1: i don't think he thinks like that i think he just likes to make these movies that are like a twist on reality yeah and and good like i mean that's what movies should be they shouldn't like they don't have to always be like historically accurate like you can do what you want within within a movie because everybody knows it's not real so
0: yeah yeah, i think it's fine and i think we were saying earlier you you said like if they had shown the actual sharon tate murders it would have been like i don't need to see tarantino do that no i don't think it would have been it would have been he he makes a lot of like really exploitative movies or movies that are like kind of riffs on the exploitation movies that exist mm-hmm. but this would have been a step too far and instead what he does is a really like a really interesting undercut it, so i was very pleased that we were not getting that level of violence and it, yeah it, i did not need to see sharon like, tate actually get like murdered. you were
1: saying at the beginning it's like the interest in this movie is how are the manson family people going to play into it right, right? because like we're presented with we're presented with something within like the just knowing what the movie is going to be about by saying like okay it's going to involve Sharon Tate somehow but i don't think it really i don't think it necessarily, necessarily like delivers on it like like everything that we see before the the climax and and the ending i don't think is worth going through through it just is like this long extended stuff that like a lot of it could have been you know like we could have went through all of this stuff within minutes kind of things. Like, oh, he gets to here, 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 whatever, and then we could, like, see him in Italy for, like, a little while or whatever and then get to it there and and build upon that with... I don't know. It would be a completely different movie, obviously, That, but... You know what I mean? Instead of, like, dragging it out from, like, okay, we're at this day and then we're literally just going to follow them through, like, the entire day, which... That, I mean, that might be just, like, we're seeing another piece of, like, Tarantino style where we're, like, seeing everything going through the slow build of it instead of the, the fast-paced kind of thing. But, I don't know, with, like, Django, like, we saw that movie took place over, like, a couple of months, right? Like, a, like a long time before, it, like...
0: Yeah, there's, like, a time skip kind of through winter yeah, at one yeah. point.
1: Yeah, there's, like, time skips within it. Like, it builds up in that kind of sense before we actually see, like the ultimatum of everything and and him going on like the, the rampage at the end. But this is just like, all right, like it's day. It's February 9th. All right. Now it's February 10th. Okay. (laughs) Let's go here. (laughs) Like it's, I know it's two hours, but where are we going here?
0: See, for me, I thought it was all, I thought it was all necessary because how I felt about the end, as I said, is, you know, yeah, it it puts the audience in a similar place as Rick Dalton, but we wouldn't be in that emotional place if we hadn't watched Rick struggle to rebuild his career and come to terms with who he is as an actor today. For two hours, like if we hadn't seen the detail with which, you know, he's he beats himself up and blames himself and, you know, is yeah. struggling with alcohol and That's just, the best
1: sequence for oh, Leo in the movie,
0: I think. Yeah, and we've talked about I think Brad Pitt is like kinda he I think he steals it in a lot of ways, but that's not to to undermine Leonardo. Oh, DiCaprio no, no, no. All. I mean he's they're both great. They're good actors. Um and then Margot Robbie, like, I She does
1: nothing in the movie.
0: But I it's also important to have there. Like it's she and the the I tend to like small performances. Like I tend to like performances that that some people are like that was not acting. Um, like for example, like uh, Kristen Stewart and Personal Shopper. I fucking uh, love Personal Shopper. And people, I never saw it. people have like some people really like that movie, and I'm one of them. And other people see it and are like, I don't understand why people think Kristen Stewart's a good actress, and it's like she just is. Um, and I I felt like Margot Robbie in this. It's so important for us to see Sharon Tate as this, like, h- joyous human being. Like, this real person with so much life in her, who is also, despite being, like, kind of this elevated figure, like, she's living with Roman Polanski, and she's an object of envy and lust for other people, she's still struggling herself with herself and to be recognized like when she goes to the theater she's so genuinely happy and surprised to see other people enjoying her work and she's so it really does so much to build up what you think while watching it is the tragedy of her life but by the end of the film is kind of not tragic at all and kind of this beautiful thing where we got to separate out her death from her life because her life is more meaningful than her death and I think the movie does interesting work on that front
1: I don't mean to undercut you on that one but all I kept thinking about in the scene where she's watching the movie is why her feet were up (laughs) on the uh like, on the seats there, and I was like, Tarantino's just the biggest foot fetish. There's like, a lot of
0: foot stuff in this. He's. I saw someone say, I think on Twitter, like, he's almost trolling us with how much foot like, stuff is in this like movie. Like, he is
1: just the big foot guy, like... And
0: honestly, like, I'm over it. Like, I I just, I couldn't care less at this point about his foot fetish. It's like, people have so much more damaging fetishes. I don't care. <laughs> like, I'm not, like, I'm not saying that it's like, oh, this is, like, this
1: is detracting from the movie. But I'm just like I noticed it in there, and, and it just was funny.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. It is funny, and it's very obvious. Like it's not subtle in any way. But it's also like I was, I was over it.
1: <laughs> um, one thing I I did like about the movie, like I said, was um, like Leo and his outburst, in, in the um or Rick Dalton and his outburst in the uh, yeah. in the trailer there. I think that it's just like some of the funniest. <laughs> writing that he that Tarantino had ever did where he's just like beating himself up about it and I think that was like I've probably Leo's best scene in it the problem with like the I think that it's weird because it's you're watching this movie and it's Leonardo DiCaprio playing someone else who like is often playing another person so like he has to pretend at some points to be a shitty actor and then there's the one scene where he like does really good and like is like a good kind of scene and they're like, oh, that was really good. It was the best acting kind of thing. And it's just like, but we know as, like, an audience that it's like, oh, it's, it's Leonardo. Like, we're still seeing, like, Leonardo DiCaprio there. I never felt like I was seeing, like, his character that we were playing. I always felt like I was just like, oh, this is, like, Leo doing, like, a, a shtick for this movie kind of thing. Although I did like him when he wasn't um, the accent that he did for Rick's character And, like, he was always mumbling and, like, stumbling over his words Yeah, he had, like, a
0: little bit of a stutter almost. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that was kind of good. I think that, I don't know, Brad Pitt just makes, like, he's just the coolest guy. Like, he just just plays such a good, cool guy.
0: And uh, to call it one more performance, Margaret Qualley plays, I think the character's name is Pussycat, one of the Manson girls who uh, is flirting with uh, Brad Pitt's character. What is Brad Pitt's character's name?
1: Uh, Cliff. Cliff, Cliff,
0: Cliff, Cliff, Cliff Booth. Booth. Yeah, uh, she's flirting with Cliff Booth. Gets a gets a hitchhike from him at some point in the movie. She really kills it in this. She's really good.
1: She's going to be in the new uh, Hideo Kojima video game Death Stranding uh, coming soon to the PlayStation Four. I mean, is she uh, really? Please buy me a PlayStation Four. I need to play this game. <laughs>
0: Yeah, she's really good. Uh, I'm a huge Leftovers fan, and she's in the Leftovers. So any movie that has someone from the Leftovers in it, like, pretty much gets an A from me. Um, so she was, but she was way better than this than she was in the Leftovers even. Uh, she she was really.
1: Good. How old is she actually? She's definitely.
0: Oh, she's in her 20s. I okay. Think. I don't I actually... Because she looks 16, like... <laughs> yeah, th- she looks younger in this than she does in The Leftovers, where she's, like, actually playing a 16-year-old as well. Uh, like, she looks... Yo- they somehow made her look younger in this than she did a few years ago. The- whoever did, like, the hair and makeup did, like, a great job. Um, I, don't act- I don't know how old she is, but she's definitely, she's definitely at least 18 in real life. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been kind of creepy if she wasn't.
1: Very kind of creepy. Um, Kind of like that... that- <laughs> We keep seeing the trailer for the Good Boys movie, which I'm just, like, very... Oh, my God. I'm very conflicted about, because I'm just, like... I know it's a movie, and they're acting, and, like, they're saying, like, the F word, and, like, going through these situations, but it's just, like, it's so, like, so weird. It's just very weird to watch.
0: Yeah, it's, like, I don't know if I'm gonna see that or not. Like, I'm a little bit tempted, but then it's also, like, I've seen the trailer three times, and the trailer shows the whole fucking movie, like, pretty much. Like, really... I I don't think that movie could surprise me, so I'm probably not going to see it. Let's not talk about it anymore. Let's not talk about movies. <laughs> um, let's talk about the uh, the spawn ranch sequence because that's a sequence that a lot of people are are calling out in a good way. I like I
1: think that was the probably the I don't know if it was like a, a highlight of it for me, but like I th- I I dug it. I didn't I thought that like the whole him building up and getting in the house. I thought that he, the Bruce Dern's character was actually going to be dead, but that I was like, "All right, like," and that's another thing. Knowing that like who's in the movie and like who's built in the movie, I'm kind of also waiting for them to show up at a certain <laughs> point. So like when I'm like looking at this, I'm like, "Okay, wait a minute. We still haven't seen Bruce Dern yet. So okay, he's going to be the old guy, right? That like they're talking about here." And I thought he was all right. Like I mean, he's only in it for like two seconds. But also speaking of people in the movie, Tim Roth's in the movie but got cut somehow. Very mad about this because I love Tim Roth. Um, it's, I'm thinking that he probably was like the, my theory was that he was going to be the, the head of the Lancer Ranch. Oh, I or whatever. looked it up.
0: He's, he was apparently in, uh, a, a, he was playing a character, like in, I think a character in one of the movies who was an English butler to someone else. Uh, so, so yeah, I looked it up. That's how he was going to be. Damn it. That would have been really cool though. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. It, I don't know why he was cut. Probably another, uh, movie clip within a clip you know movie within a movie clip right that tarantino decided we didn't have time for that's a shame it really i is. think
1: they're still friends i don't think there's any hard feelings yeah. there but like i i just like i want to see more tim roth in the tarantino movies that's all
0: <laughs> yeah the spawn ranch sequence was good i i knew um enough about the man so this is actually a movie that i really feel like this is a movie in any movie, how you react to it is going to be partially dictated by what you bring into it. Like, your your personal history and your personal ideology and, and you know, your, your general taste in movies. Right. But this movie, it feels like even more so because of the history of it. So I knew um, about the Sharon Tate murders. I knew about the Mansons a good amount. I didn't really know about Spawn Ranch specifically. But that is real. They really were on this fucking ranch that was a movie set. And he had this old guy who was blind and basically just fucking him and giving him drugs to stay on the ranch, and I di- I did not know that part going in, so that was pretty interesting. Um, I also really liked seeing Lena Dunham and Dakota Fanning pop up as uh, that was t- L Fanning. No, that was uh, it was Dakota Fanning. I know my Fannings. I don't know any of the Fannings. I know my Fannings. Um, yeah, they were they were both really good in their little roles. They, they had
1: there. Di- just they didn't really like. It wasn't like, oh, they knocked it out of the park for me. I'm just like, okay, they showed they up. Did exactly they did exactly what they needed to do. They did their, do. their little spit yeah. and, like, it was fine. Um,
0: but Dakota Fanning as uh, as Squeaky, who was the, the, basically the yeah. the boss in the house, um, she did really good. Like, you can definitely feel her as, like, the, the legitimate threat on that ranch. Like, obviously, Tex, they build him up to be, like, kind of the... The threat on the ranch. in a he big He seems way. very
1: incompetent, though. <laughs>
0: yeah, like he gets,
1: he doesn't, he like checks out Brad Pitt. Doesn't I didn't know Tex was real first off. Yeah, yeah, they're I all they're all pretty I didn't much know real. All of them are real. Um, I thought they all just like made up Manson people. Um, no, Tex was real, but he just like he all he does is he looks at Brad Pitt for a second and he's like, "Yeah, he's cool." And then like misses Brad Pitt after Brad Pitt fucks up the one dude, and then like gets murdered by Brad Pitt later in the in the show. Um, so, I don't think they really built him how. He kind of looked like an idiot the entire time. That's just me, though.
0: Yeah, the the Spawn Ranch sequence a lot of people are calling out is, like, very, very tense. I maybe wasn't quite as tense as everyone else apparently was during that, but I really like that sequence. I thought it was, I mean, like, I thought it was tense because
1: I was, like, at first, because I was looking at it, I'm like, okay, what's gonna... Like, because we get to the Manson part, right? And this is where everything starts, like, coming in. So I'm thinking at this point, all right, if we're going to go into this world, like, are are they going to hook up with, like, the Manson people? Is, like, Brad Pitt going to be, like, Leonardo DiCaprio's, like, gateway into it? I thought that might be where and we were going, that's yeah. where I thought we were going to go at, at that point. And, I mean, I'm glad it didn't when, I, when all is said and done. But, and, like, yeah, that's where, like, the tension rises. But then nothing really... Like, the worst thing that happens is, like, yeah, he beats this guy up, and then, like, his tire got slashed, really. And, like, everything else just is, like, kind of falls flat for me. Like, yeah, it was funny to see the Bruce Stern and him being an old crank, and, like, the exchange was was funny, but then nothing comes of it, really. It just is, like, okay, like, he just says hi. See you later. (laughs) like... Yeah, I think... not gonna do anything. Like he just is like, you know, they're like taking advantage of you, and he just like doesn't seem to care.
0: Yeah, I think I've already made clear that like the ending is probably the my favorite part of the movie. Like it's the part I think is like really interesting, and I like the execution of it. So I wouldn't trade that. Well, that's for, because for this, the rest but... of the movie was boring. So no, you had to get it to wasn't. the ending. It was really good. The rest <laughs> of the movie was also really interesting. The ending is just obviously like the big set piece. So I wouldn't trade this for that. But I really thought towards the beginning. The way they were setting Leo as, like, I'm a has-been old buddy. Like, I really thought we were going to get Leo joining the cult. Like, I really thought we were going to get Rick Dalton joins the Mansons. uh uh-huh. um, And that would be an interesting story to watch. I wouldn't trade it for what we got, but I thought that's where we were no, going. No,
1: I don't think that, like... I, I like to ponder about, like, where the threads could go as, like... Someone who, like, thinks about, like, the writing process of it. Yeah, it's like, yeah. okay, where does, like... Where could we go from, like, at a certain point within the movie? But... I'm never someone who's, like, we're also, like, I think it would have been a better movie if they did, like, X, Y, and Z. I'm always, like, try to go into it where it's, like, if this happened, like, I might would have enjoyed it more. But, unfortunately, it didn't happen. This is what's on the screen. This is what the movie is. Like, this is the two hours and 49 minutes that we got. So
0: I think the question I always ask is, like, what story is this movie trying to tell like what meaning is this movie trying to get across and does it succeed at that and I think clearly this movie is trying to get across um... that's a good question what do you think this movie is trying to get across
1: Hollywood is cool
0: yeah, I mean, pretty much, honestly, right? Like, the mo- Look
1: at all the cool stuff that happens here. If you kind
0: of look at the ending as like, well, this is where he decided to end it, clearly it is about recapturing in a big way that lost era. And it sets up a reality where the 60s didn't end as suddenly and tragically as they did in real life. Because in real life, August 1969 is like the end of a fucking era. And in this universe, it wasn't. Um... So clearly, that's the story Quentin Tarantino was was getting at. Mm. So I don't know how Leo joining the cult would have possibly worked into it. Um, and and that's kind of why I want to go watch it again, is knowing the ultimate goal of the piece is to to rewatch it and and see all the little moments that build to that argument. Because I'm sure I'm sure there are things I missed.
1: Maybe maybe I have to rewatch it too to to really get the full benefit of it. But. My impression, as it is right now, is that I need to wait about a couple months or two before I I hop back in.
0: (laughs) So, do we have anything else to say about uh, about this movie? Anything else we want to hit on? Any any other aspect of it?
1: What's his name? Who? What's his name? The narrator. Oh, Kurt uh, Russell. Kurt Russell. Shout out to Kurt Russell. He's the man. Yeah,
0: he's he's not in it much, but he's great in it. He's always good. Yeah, he's he's Kurt, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell's the
1: man. Um. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm pretty sure we hit the nail over the head about how we feel about this movie. Um, do you want to talk about a little bit about Midsummer because we also saw that, too?
0: Yeah, we're going to talk about Midsummer a little bit now. Um, so thanks for tuning in if you were just here for our Once Upon a Time in Hollywood talk. Uh, obviously, it's a movie that's going to kind of stick with us and going to percolate over time. Like a coffee. So I think that's all we have to say about it for now. But uh, if you don't want to be spoiled for Midsummer, we're just going to head straight into Midsummer spoiler territory. Yeah. Because that Midsummer is another movie. Like you want to go in knowing fucking nothing. Yeah. Like even the first like five minutes of the film, I wouldn't even want to tell you what happens because it just builds so much effective tension. Mm -hmm. Um. So turn this off right now because we're going to talk about Midsummer.
1: Unless you saw Midsummer and you need to talk to us or want to listen to us yeah, talk about, yeah. If you
0: want to hear us talk about Midsummer, uh, keep keep listening. So I fucking loved it. It's probably my favorite movie of the year so far.
1: I mean, I I liked it as a movie. Um, was I stressed the entire time? Yeah, absolutely. Was but like, here is what I felt after thinking about it: is that you can kind of like. Figure out everything that's gonna happen, right? And oh, yeah. I mean, that's like something within horror movies that you kind of—I feel like an aspect of horror movies that you want—you don't really want to know what's gonna happen. You want to try to be like a little bit unpredictable. But in this movie, it's like literally lit, written out on the wall. Oh yeah. And that's not—and but that's not the point of it. I think the point of it was like to to get you to this like tense, like all these tense moments, like the build up to the like, the final piece where they burn everything and she finally, like, moves on or whatever. But, and, that, and as it works in that regard, I think it works really well. I just feel that a lot of the moments of, like, people like, of these tense moments of build-up, like, and me being stressed the entire time, when it finally got to the resolution of, like, what it was building up towards, I feel like it fell a little flat. But, Mm -hmm. again, it was because we're literally told what is going to happen, like, in the sequences on the, on the damn, um... Like, the tapestries, Like, on the damn tapestries. Like, we can tell, it's like, okay, that's going to happen. Like, we're going to see this part. Um, like, he's gonna get put in the bear. (laughs)
0: Like, yeah, I think the... He, they lay out so much of what's gonna happen like I- even if you can't tell everything that's gonna happen mm-hmm. before it like at, by at the beginning of the movie like a solid 10 minutes before any individual event happens you know that event's gonna happen yeah to me that's really effective I really like the horror and dread of knowing how something's going to end and having to just sit there and endure it. I personally enjoy that terror. Right. And and he he also uses it for comedy too. Yeah. Because like the sequence where he finds the pube in his, in his meal, you saw the tapestry of a girl making a love potion by putting her pubes in a in a pie, and then you see that happen, and it's fucking hilarious when he pulls the pube out because you know what's going on, and he yeah. doesn't so he Ari Aster, the director writer, uses that foreknowledge for both terror and comedy, and I think it's brilliant.
1: I think that this movie like he he mark i've heard that he like marketed it and like explained it as like a breakup movie like it's a, it's which more it, it is which it is yeah like it totally is and like
0: it's relationship horror yeah
1: it, it really is but i feel kind of bad for like the the guy because like it not not because he was like really a bad boyfriend he like i mean he was a bad boyfriend don't yeah. get me wrong but he never really did anything kind of like egregious he was kind of just like a regular dude who was like pretty lazy and just didn't put the effort into anything and like that's what's really like fucked up about it because i don't really think that he deserved to be burned alive but i get that like from her perspective it's like well she needed this kind of like emotional support that like he could never provide for her and like she like in order to like get past it into like that community in which she finally like felt accepted like she has to like she's got to like burn him alive as like an effigy or whatever and I'm like totally down get the metaphor didn't pass me once but man that kind of like sucks for that dude like I do feel bad for him because it was just like it's just like damn like I went on my I went to Coachella and like this shit just got me all fucked up like I'm burning alive here literally like I am the burning man
0: (laughs) (laughs) and that's one of the things I like about it is so he is a bad boyfriend but he's not like a terrible human being like yeah the but, main His main problem is he should have broken up with her, like, a year ago, <laughs> and he didn't. So he's cursed... He's just lazy. Like he's, he... Yeah, he's cursed by an action from the beginning, and at the end, when he's literally cursed by an action, you can't move, you can't speak, that's what fucking kills him.
1: He still cheats the idea <laughs> Like
0: Yeah, yeah, and I love that, like, I... I the movie gives... Um, Florence Pugh's character, uh, I, I can't, Danny, Danny's yeah. her character. She, they give, it gives her a positive arc where she goes from one position to another, and we'll talk about that in a sec, but it gives this guy, whose character's name I can't remember, I believe he's played by Jack Rayner, though, who did a great job.
1: Fake, uh, uh, Chris Evans, not Chris Evans, Chris... <laughs> The one of the Chris's, you know which one I'm talking um,
0: about. He his arc is kind of a static arc where he ends cursed by the thing that he's cursed with at the beginning. So I I like that the movie plays with two different forms of character arc. Um, with Danny, she ends with this. Someone someone recently pointed out to me uh, that I think maybe the only time she smiles is the very last like shots yeah. of the film. Yeah, I think so because she isn't supported by her boyfriend. She doesn't have the support system she needs after her family's dead. And she doesn't have the support system she needs about her family's death. And she ends in a community that literally mimics the pain of others and mm-hmm. believes in the collective. When the guy who, the, when the older, when the, the, the male elder, uh, commits suicide and doesn't die right away everyone starts wailing with him just like they start wailing with danny when he, she sees her boyfriend yeah on I, I like that just part. like they start wailing at the end with everyone dying in the flame mm-hmm. it's about this collective acceptance and and uh, of pain and and companionship and support and she finally finds the people who she needed the whole time yeah and it's this sick sick catharsis it's wonderful
1: yeah, it's... Like, the cult shit is, like, the horror part of it, and it's kind of just, like, treated as whatever. And that's what I actually liked about it, because it's, like... Yeah, it's, like, kind of fucked up, and, like, that's a, a big reason is, like, why I'm, like, tense the entire time is because I'm watching all this fucked up shit Yeah, it's one on. of the
0: most stressful movies yeah, I've ever and, seen. Yeah, like,
1: and, like... And, again, we know what's going to happen because it's literally told to us, so, like, it kind of, like, again, falls in the same thing with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. For me, like, it kind of falls flat in that point, but it's different in that... I am so stressed out because I, like, can kind of, like, relate in some ways. Like, I have felt that sort of, like, sort of feelings towards another person before. <laughs> so, like, I can relate in some certain ways to it. And I'm also just, like, very stressed out the entire time by, by like, what I'm watching. I also like that the, I think, like, the beginning of the movies where, or, where... It's just them, like, her trying to, like... Not, like, the part where, like, her parents and, and her sister, like, all die or whatever. That's, like, very stressful to, oh, to yeah. get hit over the head with or whatever. But, like, the tension just between her and, like, the friends. Like, yes! Nobody really likes her. Like, they don't really... They're, it's like, really well they're done. They all talked about her behind her back. Like, she's like, oh, she sucks. Like, you don't even like her, like, kind of thing. And, like, just, like, she's really coming to, like, Sweden with us. Like, what the fuck, dude? Yeah. Like, oh, my God. He's, like, such just a shitty, like... Such a shitty dude, but like, yeah. not really. Like, he didn't like do that. Like, it, he's trying. He's trying to be like not shitty, but in in regards, he's like just shitty. Like, yeah, he's
0: trying to be considerate for uh, like to towards her, but, but like in reality, he's not. It. He's not being considerate. Like, he's he's really being selfish. He thinks he's being considerate. Um, yeah, it's really good stuff. It rules. It's a great <laughs> film, and I I do kind of agree. the The finale. I also felt a little flatter about the finale than I did about some of the other sequences earlier on. But I kind of felt like at that point, like, okay, it's time to be coming down. It's time for the catharsis. Like, you know, she's going to pick him to burn when she has to pick. And she does. And you just have to wait for it to happen and sit there and watch it. And so you're kind of like, it's almost a sense of relief. Like there's nothing relieving about it, but it's almost this sense of like, you finally get to take a breath. Mm -hmm. Like, so, I thought it was really effective. Um, I had a dream about oh no Pele, the no. Swedish guy. I had a dream I accidentally wandered into his apartment. No, and I was and, and in the dream like I knew he like get out of the I apartment. He was like a part of this cult. No. But I also was like pretending to be friends with him. So that was a weird dream. He like get out of the apartment. I need to see
1: this movie again. He's gonna bring you to Sweden.
0: Yeah, it was uh, free that was, that was
1: a Fucked up movie. Free ASAP Rocky. They got him. The Midsummer people,
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, Midsummer man, that was that was wild. It
1: was yeah,
0: really wild.
1: I liked it better than the
0: Hollywood. Movie. I mean, me too. But that's but I I, I really liked them. both. They're very different. But They're Midsummer very, very is different.
1: like both very violent. Again, Midsummer's probably smashing. my favorite
0: of the year so far. Yeah, a lot of face smashing in both. Yeah, you really if you want to see what it's a got, what a head looks got, like, got a face in, smash stuff. You know, these are the two movies. Actually, the uh, Ari Aster, the writer director of *Midsummer*, just tweeted like that he really liked *Once Upon a Time in Hollywood*. Bastard. <laughs> so I'm happy about that. And actually, just to talk about this, I saw *Hereditary*, which is the movie he made before this, um, and I hated it. So if anyone has, so, I thought that was interesting. I did not expect to like *Midsummer* as much as I did.
1: I'm so glad that I
0: didn't. I'm glad though for even though I liked
1: one movie or like I didn't okay. So, to say that I liked Midsummer would be... Like, I liked it as, like, it was a well-constructed film. Did I like watching it? No. But, like... Because I was, again, stressed the entire time. I don't really want to be under that stress. I want to kind of enjoy what I'm watching. Um, But... Like, I feel that... fuck. Now I lost my train of thought. I don't know. I feel like these are two good movies to kind of... Even though they're very different to, like, compare and contrast. Because, one, like not not knowing anything about either of them going into it is the way that, like, I think that you should be watching both of them. Yeah. And I think that it works a lot better with Midsummer than it does with Once Upon a Time, because Once Upon a Time is just, like, once we're in there sitting around waiting for it to kind of go, whereas this one it's, like, I know what's going to happen and I'm waiting for it to happen, but I'm still stressed out that it's happening, right? So I'm still feeling, like, that... Emotion towards what I'm seeing, whether in Once Upon a Time, Hollywood it's like, yeah, being entertained by little bits, they're funny and everything, but like, when are we getting to where we're going? Like, because nothing's going on right now.
0: I was talking to my friend. That's me. Though. I was talking to my friend Jane about uh, Midsummer. Hi, Jane, if you're listening. Hi, Jane. She mentioned that she didn't even realize until like more recently, like after she saw the movie, like, oh shit, like that. Was a cult in Midsummer because they do such a good job, and I, and I realized like the the mark of a good cult is you. By the time you have enough information that you could put the name cult to it, they'll have seduced you and normalized themselves and basically welcomed you into their way of doing things uh, so successfully that by the time you hear someone else call your cult a cult you your your denial kicks in cuz it's like no i'm not a cult member like i'm just part of this group like this is a society like this is our way of life and yeah a really chilling in
1: cedar rapids
0: yeah a really effective framing device for midsummer is like the anthropology aspect where they're like going to see how a society lives differently than ours. So you know it's going to be weird right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And you know, and it is kind of normalized because they're studying it. And it also helps, helps explain why they don't fucking leave right away because they're here to see this yeah, weird shit. Yeah. So Midsummer was really... Well, hilarious. at least
1: like... At least, um... Cheaty is. I'm just going to call him Cheaty right, because yeah, he rules. It's yeah. uh, <laughs> a sign of affection, not... <laughs> Um, but, I mean, the good place is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, he's there and he's like, he knows what's gonna happen, but like, he's still there and he's like, I gotta get my thesis done though. Like that, he's just like, <laughs> he's just a big nerd and he's like, I gotta get this thesis done, man. Like, it's so interesting. And he's really like, good
0: in it too. He's pretty I good. Mean, I'll say all the actors in both of these movies are really good. Florence Pugh in Midsummer though is like something fucking else. Like she has to do really intense screaming and crying that feel very real. Like, they don't feel like an actor cry. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's really affecting. Um, And Florence Pugh, it's it's such a lived-in performance, her her Danny. It's so... Like, you really feel like those two characters have been dating for a long time. Like, you really get a sense of the history of their relationship based on how they interact. And also, part of that is helped by the conversation you were talking about before with, like, his friends. Like, they don't really like her, and they're talking about, like... So... Yeah, between the, the script writing and, and her performance, like, I mean, she sells it really hard. And if she didn't, the movie wouldn't work.
1: Oh, yeah. They needed a, a strong female for it because yeah. it's about her. So. I need to go
0: back and watch, like, all her other stuff. She did a movie called Lady Macbeth that I heard was really good. She um, did I uh, it, But I, I heard it was great.
1: She did this movie that I need to see called Fighting With My Family. I've heard she that plays was decent, actually. WWE Superstar Paige, my bay let's go
0: i mean she's a great actor obviously so uh, she I, I'm, i'll probably watch that too lena
1: hetty's in it as Paige nick is frost mom. is in it yeah. yeah who also still wrestles very weird he does so no sidetrack so Paige, like the wrestler whose name is page yeah. her real name is soraya right which her mom that's not that's her wrestler name is soraya So her mom named her after her wrestler name. Oh my god. Like, so carny. That's so great.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, we gotta do a Florence. Shout out to Florence. (laughs) Florence.
1: She rules. We're big fans.
0: Yeah. Did you know she's dating Zach Braff? And he's like an. Yeah, fuck that noise. Yeah, it's pretty weird. Uh, Florence, you deserve better. Zach, you don't. Florence,
1: (laughs) hook up with my man Eli. (laughs)
0: <laughs> it's not what I was aiming at, but I mean, let's go
1: get Florence few on the show.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's pew she's hive. really good in this. The um, Pew Hive,
1: we're Pew Stains.
0: Anything else to talk about either of these movies?
1: Um, who who do I want to shout out? Oh, Free ASAP. Um, yeah,
0: Free ASAP. <laughs> that's about it. Also, did you see, uh, I love how Sweden is basically, like, subtweeting Trump, like, oh, actually, in our country, uh, you can't use politics to affect the justice process. I don't know how things are in America, but here, uh, politicians can't. You guys are also (laughs) all in a
1: cult, you freak zoids. It's literally daylight all the time there. Um, Give us back our ASAP. We uh, need him. Please don't put him in the garden.
0: Hashtag ASAP ASAP.
1: ASAP, ASAP, please. Um, Yeah, please do not put him, his foot in the garden. I do not want to see that shit. All
0: right, I guess that's it.
1: Uh, Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks for coming along with us. Uh, It's very, very hot in the place that we're recording in. I'm going to melt like the people in the, uh, in the, what is it? I guess the effigy in fucking (laughs) midsummer. I feel like I'm stuffed in a bear carcass right now. Please get me out.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's actually a good thing. I like. I like that we record in this hot ass attic because it kind of puts a timer on how long we can talk. Oh. It's like all right. This podcast needs to be a reasonable length. Yeah, and we're hot.
1: because we're being baked alive again set on fire they took my face off and put it
0: and you know what this is going to be just about an hour long and for talking about two movies i think we did a great job i think i think
1: not to toot our own horn but we're the best um glad
0: to be back we're gonna think of some good stuff to cover soon we're gonna get some new movies
1: hopefully some good ones to come out what ones do you want to see? I got some ones. How about a
0: little guy named Sonic the Hedgehog? That's not coming out till next year now. What the fuck? Yeah, they pushed it back because everyone hated the CGI. I'm so to
1: mad. Do they gonna do the same thing for cats? Because we gotta see that one. <laughs> well, we're
0: definitely seeing cats. Ah, uh, um, damn it. We've got a TV show coming up. We'd like to cover week to week. I don't wanna. I don't wanna make any promises or name it yet. Yeah, we might renege on that. Hey,
1: did you ever watch that show? Man, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. Cause I watched it (laughs) man
0: (laughs) yeah in case you can't figure it out yet uh but yeah we hope to cover that um we don't want to make any promises but we hope to cover that week to week when it's out we're gonna find some new movies to talk about maybe i'll finally edit that Forrest gump episode if i can Uh, we had technical issues there so i'll have to technically something out
1: more than issues with that one
0: that's (laughs) it for us this week uh luke where can they find you on twitter
1: they can get me at at luke hennigan that's my name you can follow me if you um if you like good stuff like Metal Gear Solid
0: <laughs> and you can follow me at story politics uh, follow me if you like uh, tweets about uh, politics and uh, a Song of Ice and Fire based crossword puzzles uh, which I released one recently and I'm probably gonna make another one because I'm a nerd we're nerds that's why we do this podcast we're nerds thanks for listening we're nerds tell us on film school subscribe like, rate, and subscribe, comment, like, rate, subscribe, oh, comment,
1: give us, give us Patreon dollars, we don't have that yet, give us that money, we'll just come, you. email us, send us a letter, envelope it, with some change, 32 cents, that's all we need, yeah, just hit us up on Twitter and ask for a Venmo, we'll, we'll happily, hit, hit, hit us up on Cash App, yeah, we'll happily take your money, again, uh, FedEx us, um, uh, PS4, I do need to play Death Stranding, Luke, get Luke a PS4, <laughs>
0: that's what this podcast is about now <laughs> get
1: luke a ps4 we're just it's gonna be like the oh uh, what if i traded this uh what is it the a needle or whatever or a paperclip he traded the paperclip for a house we're gonna do that for me but a ps4 <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right later we'll be back when we have something else to talk about later bye